I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at show at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. This is the Switchblade, your friendly neighborhood knife pervert. and others. I am the Subtle Doctor, uh, and with me is my stalwart podcast companion, uh, master of both the wide-ruled and college-ruled spiral notebooks, it's Shadon. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're currently recording this on Halloween, so in the somewhat strange instance that you happen to be <laughs> time-traveling but also listening to this at the same time, happy Halloween to you. Yes, uh, happy, happy spooky Wednesday. Um, Spooky. This, this podcast has nothing to do with Halloween or spookiness. No, usually, unfortunately. By the way, I should say the title of this podcast. In case, this is What Are You Desho. Uh, I'm sure you know that because you you clicked on this. To There's no way this wound up in your ears without you understanding what you're listening to. That's Japanese for... <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad, really bad. And that's what we are. We're a bad podcast about uh, anime. To be fair, Wari Desho was the comment I last left on Just Eat about the most recent kebab I ate as well. No one understood <laughs> it. Except that one guy. The one guy out there, he got it. And he was like, well, I ain't touching that shit of a 10-foot barge pole. <laughs> you've helped, uh, you've, you've really, really helped one person while uh, befuddling many others. Oh, uh, well. And listen, that's reflective of, uh, of our own podcast, where 9 out of 10 people sort of walk away scratching their heads and one out of ten form an ardent attachment to us. <laughs> Which <laughs> is cool. I'm I'm up for that. I'm totally okay with that. So 
what is this? Uh, this is sort of a special episode. Uh, we're just going to talk about a rather general topic that touches on many different anime, but also other uh, other media, other works of art. Uh, because we were talking about it off cast, we thought, hey, this seems like a really cool thing to kind of get in the weeds about mm-hmm. and, and hash out. And so we're going to do that. Um, our discussion is so the original genesis of it is we were talking about kill a kill right mm-hmm. and then i sent you uh ollie's uh philosophy tubes uh really cool video on kill a kill uh called is anime fan service bad art let me just take this opportunity and i think you'll shadon feel the same uh philosophy tube is a really really excellent youtube channel uh huh. Everybody should subscribe. Everyone should follow Ollie on Twitter. Smash that like button. Smash it. Uh, he's actually offering a really nice service to everyone for free. You know, he got his philosophy education and decided to pursue an acting career. Mm-hmm. And so he is giving it away for free on the internet, uh, sharing his his philosophy acumen, his insight, his uh, very sharp intellect, and mm-hmm. giving you very digestible versions of different philosophical questions or philosophers or big movements and what have you. So please check that out. For sure. Pluggity plug 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 plug. <laughs> um, follow me on Twitter, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> you could just ask him. <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, it's where it's taking away the like button. You're going to have no choice eventually. <laughs> nice one, Jack. You incompetent <sighs> wankstein. Is Twitter really taking away the like button? I believe so. The heart? Yes. Get it while it's good, folks. Hit that like button. Oh my god. Yeah, uh, is... Jack. Jack's reasoning for doing that, by the way, just as a mild tangent, is that it's to improve the quality of debate, quote-unquote, which is sort of like, I mean, this is like saying that your house is on fire, or rather, you know, your kitchen's on fire. And so what do you decide to do to start your kitchen? Do you bulldoze the entire house, or do you just isolate the fire and put it out in the kitchen? In Jack's case, he prefers to demolish the entire house because he's a fucking nitwit. So there we are. Boy. Smash that like button. <laughs> It's only got a couple of days left, oh, a couple of weeks left in its lifespan. I I guess the reason behind it is that you won't feel like you have this sort of captive audience and they're all clapping for your opponent or something, and that will just make you feel shitty when you're in an online debate. If they want to remove the like tool, they can... they can forget that and remove some actual legitimate tools, as in people hey, from Twitter. Hey, there's... There's, there's a... There's a uh, there's your thought. There's a solution. There's a but good, that there's would a good require start. that would require a lot of uh, a lot of holistic sort of review <laughs> and uh, <laughs> d- deep a deep and sustained effort. Can it be done by an algorithm? No. Well, fuck <laughs> no, that <yeah>. noise. <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyway, uh, so back to anime service fan. You know, is it anime fan service? Is it bad art? Well, I just want to quickly say first. What we're going to be talking about, I think, applies to way more than just fan service. Fan service is 
where a lot of anime fans will encounter this the more basic less specific question do ethical defects uh mar a work of art and that's the question that after about a minute and a half two minutes of ollie's video that that's what he reveals that he's really asking right it's a more general question so it, what is an ethical defect uh he defines it and we're gonna stick with his definition here an ethical defect is if a show has one it's not just displaying uh certain imagery or attitudes it is actively endorsing that imagery and those attitudes so it will be like the difference between people being killed in a show versus a show actively uh or subversively subtextually uh endorsing the idea that killing is this good thing that you want to do mm-hmm. um that's where the, and we'll get into specific examples i think in in a moment but that's the question and yeah we both just kind of found it fascinating so we're gonna kind of uh <laughs> we're gonna take this uh to two-year-old, nearly three-year-old philosophy tube video and use it as a, a jumping-off point for some anime discussion. Indeed. So, to start with, I think it's just important I speak about my particular experience, uh, or rather my shifting perspectives, which I mentioned once or twice before on the podcast. Um, currently, um, I don't care for fan service. It With an asterisk. There are exceptions to that rule, as there always are. For me, it's always a case of application execution. Like, why is it here? What's it here for? Uh, you know, is it relevant to the point of the hand here? Does it actively detract from what's going on? I mean, you, the amount of times I spoke about Franks where it had fan service in it that seemed actively contradictory to what was going on, or just plain distracting, that sort of thing. Will we never get away from Darling in the Franks? <laughs> frank, frank, frankly not. But it's a relevant, no. it's a more relevant thing that uh, our viewers might be aware of. Uh-huh. So here, here's the thing for me, though, right? Up until I watched Ollie's video, I kind of only ever really thought of it on a case-by-case basis. Um, which is, you know, does this does this work detract from itself by having that kind of fan service in there? Is the fan service, you know, acceptable or not? I mean, there were, like, you know, I learned about the diegetic argument and the fact that, well, at the end of the day, it's, you know, always a work of human creation, so it doesn't matter. Do you mind fully kind of unpacking what the diegetic argument is? Um, this is an okay. argument from Dan Olson, right? Yes, it is. I'll actually go in. I'll, I actually have a perfect example for this. Uh, let's talk about Quiet from Metal Gear Solid Five for a second. So, in that game, Quiet wears basically nothing other than bin liners, as far as I'm concerned, and boots. <laughs> no, really, it looks like bin liners uh, and a little bit of leader hose and whatever you want to call it. But I would say the skin level is ninety percent plus easily. There's nothing left to the imagination. Now, here's the thing. The explanation in there, um, Malgia Solid 5, is that she photosynthesizes through her skin, draws in, you know, sunlight and oxygen. She breathes through it. So, obviously, the more surface area exposed, the easier it is, you know, for her to do that. That's the diegetic argument for why she is the way she is in the game. It's a justification for addressing like that. However, uh, the problem with the diegetic argument is that, it, well, everything that's written in a game or a work of fiction or a text is the product of a human person. Unless, you know, this is like 10 years in the future when Google's writing, you know, the next level of Shakespeare or some shit. So uh, we'll see how well this particular point ages. But point being is that it didn't need to be the way it is to, you know, to have her be that way. If anything, it actually makes it more nakedly transparent. Wink, wink. I see what you did. It's very artificial. It's nature just to justify that being there as opposed to, well, she just is that because she is. So there you go. Um, But nothing needs to be the way it is in fiction to accomplish what it needs to do. 
this ties into a lot of other thoughts I've had on a different property that's come out lately, which has been controversial, but we're not going to discuss that here because it's not actually relevant. Yeah, you could basically use that kind of argument to justify almost anything. Mm-hmm. Well, the world was created this way, this very specific condition, yeah. therefore it's it's justified. When yeah. It, it doesn't take a lot, I think, to see this is an argument with a lot of issues. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in Kill the Kills it case, the diegetic argument there is to why the god robes and the clothes work they, the way they do. Uh, Senketsu Flout says to Ryuko, uh, I'm covering as little area as possible because otherwise I fear I might take over your consciousness if I covered all of it. Um, which obviously does not excuse the logical hiccup that in that case, why is it designed, why is Zenketsu designed the way it is? Why not a sports bra and shorts? You know. Spoilers for Kill a Kill. <laughs> yeah, the, the, nothing is left to the imagination in that show either. Um, although there is more to it than just logical hiccups, of course. It's, that's a very baseline examination of it. You could obviously mm-hmm. argue, you know, the toss about like why the clothes look the way they do. Um, so that's the diegetic argument there. But as it stands right now, I've kind of hit on a different understanding thanks to all these video, which has made me realize that it's not simply just a question of considering one work on its own, uh, but its presence in the medium as a whole and how other works kind of coalesce and congeal with it in terms of similar ideas and arguments. So, um, without further ado, I suppose I should lead into it. I'm going to need to give you an example to you all, though, first, just to describe what I'm talking about here. If you were alive in the 90s and not one of those, you know, plebeian, you know, peasant millennials who smell really bad, um, you might have been aware that the original Doom, not 2016's Doom, but the, the original one, was embroiled in a bit of controversy in the Columbine Massacre because it was cited as an influence on the murderers in question, you know, the shooters uh, that drove them to it. They were avid Doom mappers, as it turns out. What you what year did Doom come out? Ninety three, four, ninety three. Three. I think four was Doom two, if I remember. Okay, and the Columbine uh, tragedy uh, happened in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, it was. I believe it was Science that. Now I'm merely dredging this from memory, so please. It, um, oh, listen, me- everything. Well, no, I guess it couldn't have been nineteen ninety eight because I remember them uh, also sort of throwing the Matrix under the bus. All kinds of. Uh, media really uh, got got uh, attacked by Republican congressmen among among others, but Doom, The Matrix, uh, a lot of things uh, during that time. New metal. <laughs> yeah, it was it was actually in 1999, as it says. Okay, 99. Hence, hence, I guess the relevant where Matrix was relevant. Yeah, Doom was especially mentioned in that. I just double-checked on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the reason why I'm bringing up Columbine and Doom here is that Doom was cited as an influence, but I am of the opinion that you can't ever point to a single work of fiction, or any work for that matter, um, as being an inciting element in driving um, someone to do something. I think that's pretty nonsensical. Like, no individual piece of work alone could solely make someone do that. That's my perspective on it anyway. Mm-hmm. However, however, just to make a very like uh, numerical example, I'm really boiling this down to basics, but let's assume in Columbine's case, the argument that people were posting was that, okay, Doom like you know, made them pass that threshold of insanity that made them do that. It was that one product that had such a strong influence, and then let's say the breakpoint was an arbitrary number like 5,000. You can call 5,000 5, insanity points, 5,000 Looney Tunes, whatever you want to call it. Let's mm-hmm. just use that as our baseline here for this point I'm going to make. The perspective I've come to, I've watched all these videos, is that I think that 
rather than a single work leading someone doing that, I think that if the works are that they consume in general, many, many different pieces, all preaching or uh, suggesting or, you know, having the same thing, even if that's only very subtle or minor, like, you know, each individual work is worth 10 points as opposed to the 5,000 I cited previously. If you consume enough of that over time, that all gives you the same idea. Um, it won't probably drive you to kill people, uh, but it will certainly, I would argue, influence your perspective or even your language or the way you speak. Mm -hmm. I mean, so... Think of it this way, right? Authors, when they write works, they're always writing from their own experiences. And that's not even necessarily to say, like, you know, that they're writing a sci-fi novel and they've been a space marine. That's obvious nonsense. But I'm talking more about, like, you know, it's a melange of, like, the language that they've learned, the words that they've used, the perspective they have towards gender, etc. Uh, there's always going to be that blend in it, which is why, you know, whenever you read that a book and it says, uh, this is a work of fiction and the views of the characters within do not necessarily represent the author... That, unfortunately, is not necessarily true. Because <laughs> it will always represent it to a certain amount. There will always be a certain amount of bleed through uh, from the author's um, own worldview. Even if mm. they don't necessarily intend it. Do you feel that way with with antagonists that authors write? Do you feel that even some kind of small part of them is reflecting the author's... No. I'm not talking so much as... Or not... maybe just their experiences with, I don't know, fascism or racism or what have you. I violence. think maybe I need to distinguish here between what is overt design or intentional design versus what comes in that's not unforced of, unconscious design. Like, there are plenty of works out there, uh, Transformers being one of them, that, you know... Unintentional... <laughs> no, seriously, seriously, what? seriously. <laughs> That is the most fantastic abrupt lead-in to discussing Transformers. There are many works out there, Transformers being one of them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Transformers fantastic. being one of them, which for, which, for example, you know, sexualized women that probably didn't even need to or mean to do that. It was just, you know, an unconscious way of filming or crafting the scripts and all the, all the work in question. So I think that, for me, the distinction is more the case of it's not something that you may necessarily be consciously aware of when you're crafting a work, but more rather how unconsciously your experiences and what you've read, consumed, etc. can bleed right. through even a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that ties back yeah. to the point I made before. So why is this relevant to the idea of ethical defects and what um, Ollie was saying, and in particular with anime fanservice? Here's the thing I've now realised. You can't point to any single particular work and say this, you know, you can point to it and academically say the fanservice in this is bad. You know, for a variety of reasons. I mean, how many times have I talked about that on Stream of Thought on various podcasts we've done where I thought, God, this fan service was just shit. Why is it here? Why? Right. But the thing is, that's the that's only looking at works individually in their own little bubble, which is a, a function of reviewing an individual work's happens. Mm -hmm. So given what I've just told you, I would say that ethical defects in a work, particularly with fan service, because it, you know, it you know, portrays, you know, women in a state of like, you know, sexual you know, uh, how would I describe it? Basically, they're in the nudding. There we go. We'll go with that. They're in the nudding. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. nothing left to the imagination, but there's no reason for it to be there other than just to titillate. I would argue that an individual work that does that will not suddenly make you think, oh, I should probably, you know, objectify women. I think that's nonsensical. You don't, people's opinions don't necessarily turn on a dime like that. I don't think that's realistic to say. But imagine if you watch a lot of fiction, a lot of anime, or a lot of shows even that do that. Maybe they only do it once or twice in their entire run. Maybe it's, you know, a background element rather than the main thing. And maybe you don't really think about it, you don't really notice it. 
But then maybe you blend that in with how, you know, other people talk about and view women in general, you know, outside of anime, or what you see in, you know, live action television or advertisements. How many times have you seen women in bikinis, etc., etc., et cetera, you get the point. So for me, I think the ethical defects are an issue when it comes to anime fan service. But that's in the broader context of how they can perform like this kind of little mosaic piece thing going where they will ultimately, if you look at them over time, you might not even realize it's happening, but you will start to think, you know, what, what, what's wrong with objectifying women? What's the problem? So many works do it, and I don't, I don't see, I don't even realize I'm thinking this, mm-hmm. but they all do it. It's just, you know, natural. It's a thing. So let me uh, make sure I understand your argument. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'll restate. You are arguing that individual works that contain instances of fan service uh, are not themselves in isolation bad. That that those may be, and those instances of fan service may be ethical defects, but they don't affect the, but they don't have relevance when you're like evaluating the goodness or badness of a work. Um, in a vacuum, yeah. you're you're mainly talking about like a balanced media diet. Mm-hmm. That you should that that what is bad for a person uh, is consuming a bunch of works of art with the same worldview. And this this worldview doesn't even need to necessarily be overt. It mm-hmm. could just be small things that happen occasionally, maybe not even once per episode. But then again, this the theory I've got here is that it isn't limited to just one work. It's many works of how many ever that someone chooses to consume. And if they're all, you know, portraying the same kind of underlying idea that, oh, you know what, we can just pull a woman in here, you know, who's got tits hanging out for no reason. It's not any reason that they would do it. Certainly, you know, they're just wearing skimpy clothing because fuck it, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, then I would argue that over time, people might end up thinking, or not even realizing that they think it, that, you know, it's fine to objectify women. Because, you know, I've seen it thousands of times or hundreds of times mm. even. So this is sort of a way to give individual works a pass on fan service? No, because funnily enough, the way to fix this would be to solve it on an individual basis, basically. And I'm also not saying that fan service doesn't have its place or isn't, you know, welcome. There are certainly many shows that I've seen that have had plenty of fan service has been excellent. Fujiko Mine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think sort of Posing it as a problem to be solved might be maybe not a fair way to frame it entirely. Um, Because as you say, like as long as me, the viewer, has a a balanced diet, you know, consuming a little bit of cheesecake uh, every now and then uh, shouldn't hurt anything, right? Because I can still, I have these other contrasting works of media to tell me like, oh, this is actually not good. Or women actually have value intrinsically or beyond their bodies or, you know, etc. Well, it's not just as simple as an all or nothing thing. Like, you can still have a balanced diet, but I would argue that then you're only looking at the anime thing and then what about the wider world? There's a lot of layers to this. There's a lot of layers to this kind Mm -hmm. of thing where everything can serve as a puzzle piece. Every person will have their own puzzle that ends up being completed in their mind. It gives them their perspective and their will be. And also every person... I think is a is a puzzle themselves mm-hmm. because you know viewers of of media are unique, uh, different ages, sexes, uh, mental capacities, like abilities to judge, uh, critical eye. Like it's p- 
people will come to these things at different points in their lives. Um, so certain works can have smaller or larger influences on them. You know, they may be more or less impressionable. They may be better or worse at sussing out what the messages are and seeing them clearly for what they are. Now, this is why I tend to see it as uh, not a much of a problem uh, in, in isolated instances. Before we get too far away from this, let me pull back a little bit and restate this question that Ollie asked. These ethical defects of a, of a work, whether or not you... Let's, let's say for the sake of argument that fan service is an ethical defect. Let's just, let's go with that. Do you think that that makes something worse? Or another ethical defect, right? Like an in- endorsement of uh, something else that you, that you don't believe in or think is morally objectionable. Do you think that that, that that always makes a work worse? Or do you think that it varies? Well, it's like I said before, though. I think that it's a question of application execution. Sometimes services find some is not. And even then, it's considering the uh, work like some, like I can say it's bad for X, Y, and Z reason, but the wider context of why it's bad and why it's a cumulatively bad thing over time, especially when it's pervasive or mm-hmm. what seems like pervasive, I think that's the key for me. Um, yeah. So I would I would argue it is, but you can't consider the ethical defects will work alone. You have to consider them in context of wider um, consumption of media and you know society. And on top of that, I would also argue that it's one of the things that, you know, again, like I say, there's a reason that individual anime should still be called on this, because they shouldn't do it, because it's up to each one to, you know, understand its own place in the wider thing, you know, the wider context, the wider the wider world, the way people see it, the way they perceive it. You know, in the end, for me, I think that it's one of those things where I don't think an individual work necessarily can be, you can call it bad, but I wouldn't argue you could call it consequential. That's the key difference. But many works along broad, broadly same lines, yeah. with, you know, that same kind of attitude can be consequential. I'm not talking about, you know, Columbine level stuff, but I'm just talking how you approach and treat people. Okay. Um, I guess, okay. So, yeah, that is that is a different, that's very much a different question and an important question. And we can we can get back to that. I guess I want to think about some more if that's okay with you, like this question in terms of evaluating, evaluating media. And I guess when I say make a work worse, right? Do ethical defects make a work worse? Not, I want to be clear and say, I don't think the question is asking if a work has an ethical defect, does that make that work a pile of shit? I think it just means, do you, does it lose marks? You know, does it get worse marks? Does it lose points? Does it, would you kind of view the media uh, lesser in the same way you would as if it had um, a, characters that didn't pay off or plot holes or poor visual design or something like that? Yes, um, and I'll explain why. So, for me, unjustified fan service. I mean, okay, yeah, the digest argument doesn't really fly, but I can at least get behind it a little bit if there's at least some reason to put it in there. But otherwise... Like, yeah, Kill a Kill has a pretty... As far as diegetic arguments go, I think it has a really, if not a strong one, a really interesting one, right? Because it's mm. this story of uh, clothes as political power. 
and it's hard to like get around it in that sort of case um nudity right <laughs> for sure for sure but the way i see it is that oftentimes when it comes from justified fan service it does a couple of things to the work that are always negative the first off is that if you're having i mean let's say we have like you know a man and a woman discussing stuff in anime uh that's otherwise rode the mill but for some reason she's wearing i don't know some one of those scantily clad like you know outfits that you see in certain 90s shows you've seen them all before um so for no reason she's got that on and they're discussing road the mill stuff and that to me says to me oh uh what we're actually talking about isn't worth talking about because we need to distract you with this now that is a very very generic example and i'm only talking about and not describing it because obviously filming you know angles shots composition play a lot into that if you know it was fujiko mine for example and she was talking with lupin that would be a different thing because it would play into their character roles, it would play into her flair. So you, you, you get the idea. Yes. So that's the first thing that I would say is a problem. Um, and then there's a consequence from that, which is I do think that in that case that anime thinks very little of its audience when that happens. <laughs> yeah. I do. I no, do. yeah, I agree. I Like, we know who we're writing this for. Um, and they're obviously not going to care about what we're writing about, so let's put this shit in here, like a panty shot for some reason. To which I would then ask, well, why are you even bothering with the story? Why is it there? It speaks to bad writing in general because it shows a lack of focus. Like, okay, on the one hand, the stuff we have here, we don't care about, so we're going to do this, you know, fan service stuff. Yeah. But in that case, why isn't all one or, or the other? Now, I'm not saying that shows can't have both. Lupin, again, uh, Fujiko Mine is one example. Or even the other Lupin works, for that matter. But... The thing about those uh, shows is that in those cases, the characters were very much aware and in control of their sexuality, which is another big factor. When women are just dressed scantily because why not? That's not a decision that they're making. That's not them dressing because it's anything to do with them. It's a it's the character's hand dressing. You know, sorry, not characters. The creator's hands at work there dressing them up. You know, playing yes. dress up or the lack thereof. Um, so it's denigrated to the audience. It makes the work look like it doesn't you know matter or isn't taking itself seriously. Which would be fine if that was the tone of the work as well, I should stress. But I've seen more enough shows in this by this point which are meant to be taken dead seriously or where dire shit's happening and then suddenly, you know, there's a full moon on the screen for no reason other than it is. So, basically, it boils down to... <laughs> it boils down to, you know, we're bad writers, we're bad, you know, showrunners. Because we're putting this in here, we're not even going to give you the token reason of why it's here but we're basically admitting by putting it there that what we've got, or the existing material, is not worth your time. To which I again would say, go one way or go the other. Just a quick anime production type note. It is, um, it is hard to like apportion blame, I think, in these cases. Um, or harder than, than we might think just because anime production uh, tends to be such a collective process deeply collective you know what i mean and so like i think there might be instances in which these kind of considerations uh the considerations for anime as product as vehicle for uh figure sale uh image album uh that kind of thing are pushed upon uh directors writers uh animators all that sort of stuff so I don't. I mean, some of it may be kind of out of their control. Again, it's hard to. I'm, I'm not saying that your larger point about the thing itself doesn't stand. Just it is hard 
I think to know or harder than we think to kind of understand where to like point the finger of blame. Well, the funny thing is I have an answer to that now because I discussed it just earlier. Because do you remember what I said about Arthur's being a, you know, a patchwork of their experiences through life? Right. So where'd they get these ideas from? Where'd they get these notions from to do this sort of thing? From preceding works, probably more than likely, Mm -hmm. you know, things they've grown up with. So again, the fault lies, funnily enough, with the show, or just a different show, or many different shows, many different experiences blending together, a wider cultural, you know, standpoint. So and it's when the culture's it's, and, fault. <laughs> yeah, and when it's a collaborative process, well, the culture's to blame for everyone's perspective in that case. There's just going to mm. be mild variations on, you know, how people approach it. But they're always going to be going towards the same end goal, which is, as you've already pointed out, when they try to enforce a kind of, you know, anime as products, you know, thing. But mm-hmm. I would again always ask, why bother pointing a story in? I mean, I think it was, uh, funnily enough, we mentioned Doom before, and I'm going to bring this up again. Uh, John Carmack, who was one of the original programmers on Doom, like, he said story in a game is like, you know, story in a porno film. It's not important. It's just there to connect stuff together. But then the story is a big I very much disagree with that. <laughs> Well, it, I, I know, I know, that's a video game thing, but he was talking about yeah. that stuff at the time. And in Doom's case, I actually agree the story is a hindrance in, if it's uh, in significant detail, see Doom 3. Uh, but anyway, don't see Doom 3. Uh, <clears throat> Doom 2016, though. <laughs> Doom 2016 was, was great. But that's the thing, though, it didn't have a lot of stories to it. That's the the story thing. was there, was so good. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't it's so also, cool. It didn't drown itself in shit either, like, you know, constant crap. I mean, the first one of the first cutscenes you have is, yeah. But anyway, point being, um, if you want to do that kind of, like, the reason the pornography thing is quite accurate because it kind of is pornography at times, even not explicitly, but certainly in the titillation element. So why drape a story over in such long, extensive detail if all you're going to really care about is fan service or figures? Well, you were just... This is... Uh, was it Ribeiro you were quoting? Yeah. John Ribeiro, I think this is it? him... No, Carmack. Uh, sorry, John Carmack. Oh, sorry, John Carmack. Okay. This is, uh, this is Carmack like projecting his own pornographic preferences onto the rest of us some people the story might be very important the the setting uh the you know the roles uh in which people play like the the who is uh dominant like what's the ages of people all these things to consumers of pornography might matter a lot in terms of the final satisfaction as mentioned before though in terms of anime if you have fan service that distracts from what's going on because the story is not interesting, they can't coexist. I, I think narrative can also be product. People really actually care. Uh, uh, well, I say people, not everyone. But I think, you know, fandoms can crop up around things because of because of story, because of lore. Like, that can be someone's access point into a thing for which they'll become a fan and buy a bunch of stuff. Like, I think to sort of set story apart as, like, um, not part of the product and only part of the art. No, 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 I, 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 I think you might misunderstood. I'm speaking specifically to examples when you have unjustified, you know, distracting, unnecessary fan service in there. That's when it's incompatible with a story, in my opinion, by, de- by design or lack thereof, because you have characters being in, you know, being in situations in which they are objectified, and is there a justification for it in story? Is there a justification for it, you know, being there? Does it, you know, expose the character's agency or, you know, understanding of their own sexuality? 
If the answer to all those is a big fat fucking no, it is completely divorced from story in my opinion. It's counters the story because it, as I said, is a confession that all this stuff they're talking about doesn't matter. Hold that thought. I think it's time for dance break. <laughs> Okay, and so I think actually, so I know something about you that might be relevant here to the audience. So when you say, uh, I think when a lot of people say things like unjustified fan service, like if a stranger said that, uh, you might have a night like uh, form assumptions about what they mean. You might think they mean any sex scene or mm-hmm. or any topless scene or whatever. But like you have played and enjoyed the fruit of Grisaya and uh-huh. think that there's a fair bit of fan service and, <laughs> and hentai in it that is actually oh, justified, you, right? You got your trap card out there. Well, the, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not trying to, and this is not me trying to be an <laughs> asshole and trap you. I, I think this is actually really important. Yeah. So, okay, maybe I should explain what my version of justified is. Yeah. In, yeah. in the fruit of Grisaya, then, to give people a, an idea, yes, it is a hentai-based visual novel. Here's the thing. If you want to go into the fruit of Grisaya for the hentai, you have to wait a long fucking time for it to happen. So that's a very basic argument, you know, in favor of it. That it's not something that happens immediately. If you're there for titillation, you might as well literally just go on Pixiv or just, you know, turn off Google Safe Search and just hit, I feel it lucky! I'm feeling fucking lucky! <laughs> like, you could do that. However, um... Grisaya the... Safe Search Off. Ooh. Ugh. Um, in the case of Grisaya, though, the sex scenes that happen between the lead character and the various women are extensions of their relationship. They happen, you know, because funnily enough, when you do, you know, become intimate enough with someone, you do end up tending to have sexual encounters. I'm not saying everyone does, not saying that, you know, it's bad, but you get my point. That is a mm-hmm. progression point for a lot of people in relationships. And it form and the thing is the behaviours and the things that happen in the sex scenes aren't just simply a titillation themselves. Like the characters are inexperienced, they don't know what's going on. Uh, one of them who puts herself out as like kind of like this sexual tyrant, uh something kind of embar- <laughs> something kind of embarrassing happens to her during it that actually shows her inexperience and it is a, a merely a bit gross. But the thing is, like, it's not ashamed of saying, like, you know what, like this is how it would be for people progressing in a relationship like this. Uh, there is one character that I was I fast forwarded through that shit way way faster. <laughs> uh, if you play Grisai, you may know who I'm referring to, but I'm not going to bother wasting time explaining it. So for me, it's again a question of application execution. Why is it mm-hmm. here? What purpose? Yeah. Is it? I just wanted about... to put that out there, like because I think it is important, like because people will tune you out if they think that you are certain people will tune you out if they think that you are like just completely biased against. You know, if oh. if you're automatically considering <laughs> this one fan, this one, you know, if you're automatically considering something unjustified, no matter what, I don't know. I just thought it was important to illustrate. Well, the, th- well, the, well, the thing is, by merit of saying unjustified, I have to come to a conclusion that makes me think it's unjustified. I can't simply be carte blanche. Yeah, what's your standard of justification? 
Well, um, if you want my standard justification as a broad thing, I'd say it has to be cogent or tied in with the narrative or the characters in some way. So in the case of Fujiko Mina, which I brought before, Fujiko, you know, she is a tentress. She's completely in charge of her own sexuality and uses her uh, as, you know, her way of getting her way with men. So that's fine. Like, you know, it's not... It's uh, it's her expressing her sexual power. Funnily enough, written by a woman, so there you go. As opposed to, say... God, I'm trying to think of an example that would make me feel sick. Uh, oh, lead? I don't know. I'm just mm, thinking of bad shit. <laughs> well, okay, let me speak about a bad show that had very visible. Let's go back to Frank's for a second, because we... Okay. we so I remember... Love I it. remember... I remember that you and I discussed, like, you know, the presence of the girls being in the shower in one episode, and there's no such thing for the boys when they're having a pre-battle banter. And I suggested, mm-hmm. of course, well, why is it in the shower? Obvious reason. Well, they could have done it anywhere. Ergo, what the fuck is the point? It's simply for titillation. And it yep. goes against the tone of the coming battle because, like, oh, this should be tense, but no, look at this butt. And here's the thing, though. In the very same episode, Ichigo, you know, everyone's favourite internet punching bag, if you don't know what the fuck you're talking oh. about, uh, she is in the shower, pine her cheeks, and she's butt-fucking naked, because the thing is, that's an allegory for being vulnerable. That's an allegory for, you yeah. know, feeling like she's not ready, like she's literally naked in more ways than one. So I was okay mm-hmm. with it in that instance. So there's your two-point contrast in the very same episode, from the very same show, as to what I'm okay with versus what I'm not. So, because I also have to say, and I know that uh, you've said to me before that people like to get attached to characters and, and narrative, and this is what you've said about, like, you know, Combining two together, which I admit, you know, there are personality traits in fictional characters I do find appealing. But generally speaking, if you want strict sexual titillation, why are you wasting your fucking time watching an anime show when you can literally go straight for the hardcore stuff? I never will understand the fact that people will simply not shortcut. Yeah, Cut to the I, chase. Mean, I think. Well, gosh. Cut to the chase. Uh, I mean, I know that people like certain characters. That, I mean, that's why one yeah. exists. I get that. I really do. I, I guess, in defense of those folks. They might go into a work and fall in love with the characters, but also then find themselves very into them. Like, they might have, I don't know, started Scum's Wish because they were intrigued by the concept and then ended up being sexually attracted to various characters in it. And there are sex scenes in that show. And so they might, you know, go to scenes in that show for satisfaction. So that would, I guess, be a counterexample. Like they would, they they wouldn't, they wouldn't be there just for the TNA. They'd be there for the hearts as well. The TNA is part of it, but the emotional connection is also part of it. <laughs> this is true. This is very true, and that there are certain people so much. And you know what? That's entirely fine. I mean, Lord knows there aren't enough. You know that there are plenty of fictional characters out there who have appealing personality traits as well as just looking good. And if you like them, I can understand that because, funnily enough, you may very well not know someone like that. You know, characters can be bewitching, and fun, I'd argue even because they are creations of human people, it, maybe you might even realise it, but if someone can imagine that person, there's a good chance they might actually exist somewhere out there. Right. Possibly. I mean, that's a long shot, but even but sometimes the fantasy alone can be a comfort. Mm-hmm. So there is that. So there's, I agree with what you're coming from here. But the funny thing is, you'll often find in those cases that, you know, the personality is good and that's great and so is the... Th- and so is the but I... But the works in which I deride the most are often where the personality is not good. Right. Or non-existent. Yeah. Like... Sure. That's the thing, like, Fujiko Mine, for example, like, even if you are a purist, 
who thinks, you know, the fact that Fujiko gets a tits and shags Zenigata at some point in the, in the show is a bad thing. You can't deny that at least it, you know, blends with her personality and is a function of her character and her agency. And that she mm-hmm. is interesting as a character because of her backstory. So even on the opposite side of things, if you're strictly, you know, avert your eyes, oh dear children, don't let my, you know, pupils be stained with this, with this, you know, vile filth, then you can right. at least appreciate the, the characters there. Bodies. Human bodies. Ah! <laughs> but more often than not, I am of the opinion that you'll often find when shows like that where the fan service hasn't had much thought into it, usually the characters haven't either because, funnily enough, the same brain, or lack thereof, is not putting much thought into it. That is a causal. That is not a causal thing, by the way. That's just a, a correlation or an observation I've made, so don't take it as gospel. And I'm sure people can cite works in which that happens. But I also, you know, I've said this on the Banana Fish stream, I'm starting to lean towards reading um, or consuming more fiction that's not by cis-set men, simply because I, as a cis-set man, get really fucking pissed off whenever I feel like the show is speaking to my dick rather than my brain, because it's not what I'm here for. If I want pornography, Mm -hmm. I'll go on the internet for pornography. Simple as that. And sure, there are characters who you say who have, like, you know, both good personalities and look great in the concept. I mean, Sanjay Gahara, how many times do you have to bring her up? There you go. There's your prime example. So they do exist. But I'm here for a specific reason. The reason is not to have that kind of stuff thrown in my face because they think I'm just, you know, a drooling, you know, perverted, you know, thirsty man, for lack of a better, better spinning phrase. What if they just think that you're thirsty today? Well, excuse me while I go again up a bit. No, that's not a strong answer. Well, they cannot know that any more than I can. They have to have yeah. an idea of the person in mind that they're making it for. And generally speaking, in my opinion, if all you think of your audience is that they're horny and you don't think any more of them than that, I do think that's being a bit, you know, mean-spirited towards them. It doesn't treat people as thinking individuals who, you know, are capable of looking at work and not thinking, or just faffing off. I Some mean, people might think I'm absurd for arguing this, and I am just... I- I'm up for absurd eyes. Hit me. Hit devil's me. advocate of it. So, like, what if... What if it is actually them thinking more of their audience? Like, for example, you know, you brought up Monogatari. What if, you know, they're thinking uh, among the various needs of our audience, you know, you got the need for a good story, the need to be entertained with witty banter, uh, the need of intellectual fulfillment, which we have with this imagery. Um, and occasionally they have you know, these sexual frustrations. They have needs there. So from from time to time, we will supply things that satisfy that. Now, as I say that argument out loud, that's just them ignoring other big swaths of their audience that don't actually have those needs and could be alienated by that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the specific case of Monogatari, as you mentioned there, though, the thing is, often a lot of times those elements weave together. They weren't simply things that yeah. happened in vacuums from scene to scene or moment to moment. So there is that. I mean, go back to Grisaya. Like I say, there is the sex scenes in there, and they are incredibly graphic if you're into that yeah. stuff. They're very compartmentalized. Um, yeah, but first, you know, they're not there, firstly, in five minutes in, because that would betray their purpose, and secondly, they're there because they're a part of a function of, you know, a developing character relationship. So there is that. Mm-hmm. So... And when you say, like, you know, thinking of the needs of your audience, you have to consider that while in the case of Monogari, they did think of those things, as you say. I mean, I don't actually know what their intent was. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I want to adapt this it, book and just get paid for it. I'll yeah. do it well, but just this you know, once. The author could be just, you know, 
fulfilling his own fantasy. I mean, there's, you know, a million things. And I'm I'm sitting here arguing about authorial intent when I don't think it matters too much. Mm-hmm. But the thing is as well, though, is to go back to what you said about, like, thinking of your audience's needs. Sometimes shows will want to be about the fan service, but then they don't, they think to themselves what they don't want, which is a story to get in the way, but they put a big story in anyway. So, you know. Mm. Again, I'm speaking to the fact that when you we're giving too much credit to people doing this they're not thinking about it it's it's right. not it's not black mm. it certainly is as black and white as fan service bad or fan service good it's a, again a question of individual works and the wider context in which they operate especially when you have a cumulative consumption of them but i also have the opinion that it's not unfair to say you know that sometimes creators simply don't think they just put it in there because it's what they know not because it's justified in being there narratively or any other reason. Just because, you know, it's the thing. It's the thing that you do. It's the status quo. Why would we not do that? Do you mind if I answer, if I give my own answer to this question now? I've certainly spoken for long enough about it, so hit, so go right ahead, my friend. I've also been arguing with you quite a bit. <laughs> so, uh, teasing out your answer. So that's not that's not your fault. Um, no, it's a good thing you did. I'm usually prone to being very circumspect. So, do ethical defects have aesthetic relevance? Uh, do they do they lower the artistic value of a work? Boy, uh, I have uh, the answer of yes and no. <laughs> Basically, same as me then, but just it just depends on when you do it. On the level that I'm most comfortable talking about this stuff, it's a it's a no because I think in many in many respects. All works of art have ethical defects. Mm-hmm. Media just is problematic, um, ethically so, uh, in many ways, whether it it realizes it or not. It's very instructive. If you hear what I'm saying and you're like, what? That's ridiculous. If you make an examination of media from the 20s or the 50s mm-hmm. uh, or earlier, the ethical defects are screaming off the page at you because they came from a culture that was very different than ours. Mm-hmm. We're immersed in our own culture, so it's very hard for us to, I think, see uh, a lot of the ways in which we've we've gone wrong. I mean, even, even stuff from the 80s, we can look back and go, wow, <laughs> whoa, this, would, this, oof, this wouldn't fly yeah. today. Not so fresh anymore. This is very problematic. This this particular characterization or this this take this is ethically dubious, um, and I think given enough time, almost all media will <laughs> will fall when it comes to that kind of examination. Will be will be found wanting. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So I think even when you can recognize ethical defects, you know that of media that come out of your own culture You're like wow this seems a little exploitative or oh boy this has fascist imagery uh i wish they weren't wearing nazi uniforms Ugh. you can see that and also find a great deal of enjoyment in the work so in that sense that's where i'm inclined to say no that like people will enjoy and should be able to enjoy what they what they like regardless of the problematic aspects because you know then you run into then you run into these 
uh, fallacies or, or paradoxes, I guess, of like, well, how problematic is too problematic? You know what I mean? Is 43% where we draw the line? If not, how about 44 and so on mm-hmm. and so forth? Um, what does a 44% problematic work look like? I don't really know, but... <laughs> Fancy record over the fancy? No, actually, <laughs> no, no, that's, that, much that's, more. that's that's more. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> wrong way around. <laughs> I'm sure we'll think of something. Tack on Titan. I don't know. That's true. <laughs> that seems more like um, it. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Well, that well, yeah, that's that one might be. That one also might be higher. But it, regardless, uh, it's not good. But, but then, <laughs> then, then <laughs> you throw me off. Then, then you come to like. Uh, you have you have works like uh like banana fish where they were trying to be progressive and at their given time but on reflection we can see that despite the good intentions of the creators there's still you know tropes stereotypes that kind of that kind of thing and it's not maybe so progressive in light of the advancements we've made and and so you have like works like that that i think are enjoyable and also are like valuable in terms of like the history of art Mm -hmm. um again despite the the ethical defects that that surface right um Mm -hmm. that were latent in it the part of me so i've talked about uh, like the part of me that wants to answer the question no ethical defects don't mar work of art but I guess I do have to say, on a certain level, it does, I think, harm a work's, I'm going to use a very bad word here, objective <laughs> value and merit. <laughs> um, because, like I alluded to earlier, it's uh, a storytelling issue. Um, it's a problem because I think Ali, I, I forget who he attributes this to or, or cites, but, you know, that there are philosophers and critics that think ethical defects are indeed problems for media because they reflect the author's intention to try to sell you on a worldview or point of view and you Mm -hmm. come away thinking that they're defective like that there's an ethical defect that no you did not sell me you did not accomplish your intended purpose yeah or you did something actively negative even yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that it would be like them trying to get you to love a character but you not loving the character yeah, I mean, not just to derail you there, but also the reason that you called them ethical defects because they can have tangible influences, as I've alluded to, on people's behavior. Not individual yeah. works, certainly. Um, I mean, start step about that. But we're not talking like, you know, ethics doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's the study and application of, you know, I'm going to merely flood my meaning here, I do apologize, but it's, you know, of right behavior towards people. How do we treat people equitably? It's not something that you can discuss ever in a vacuum because it's always got applications. So if you call something that's got an ethical defects, inevitably it will have a real-world consequence, even if it's only a very tiny, nebulous one. So there you go. The, the clue's in the name. That's why they are bad. Because <laughs> this is the thing, like, you know, I would be more forgiving if this was simply something that was purely academic and could, you know, and works only ever existed inside the books they were in and never, ever, ever, ever influenced people's behaviour be it cumulatively or otherwise, again, more likely to be cumulatively than not. But mm-hmm. that's not the case. It's an ethical defect, not an academic one. So by the name alone, I'm of the opinion that absolutely just 
not to the point where you can say, well, that work made my son into a, you know, a demon-possessed monster who harassed women. That's not, that's not the case. Many, 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 many works might, you know, make him, you know, treat women occasionally a bit, on, you know, crudely. Might, yeah. you know, cause him to, you know, you know, invade space, whatever you want a situation or describe for it. So I, I might seem a bit hypocritical when I say that ethical defects do harm work, but all work has ethical defects. Mm-hmm. Not um, made equal, that's the thing. Exactly, that is that is exactly the point I was going to say, that uh, a comparison of two works will yield a difference in the amount and the severity mm-hmm. of ethical defect. I think yeah. uh, then reasonable people can look and judge, okay, banana fish was trying to say something good and i don't know keijo what <laughs> was very much this is the keijo do you remember keijo i do i didn't i didn't not trying it. to say something necessarily uh may not be necessarily making making the effort that said, you, you, bring up, you bringing up Keijo has made, brought up a very good point, which is also the intent of, of work as a whole. If someone would say to me that Keijo, I mean, was like, you know, primarily about delivering fan service and then kept the story to an absolute minimum based around a competition, I would agree with you. And that's why I actually don't dislike that work at all. Now, okay, maybe that's still a bad thing for me not to dislike it, because obviously, you know, its purpose is there from the ground up to be that kind of objectifying thing. Yes. The fan service in that show is justified because that's entirely its function. Okay, right. And it is a a show designed to titillate. I mean, I've spoken before about the idea of contracts. Like, you know, when you watch a show, what's its contract being set? What is it telling you it's going to be about? So if I have a show that's telling me it's going to be, dare I say, a post-apocalypse dystopian mecha show, in wink, wink, uh, when it starts throwing in stuff not related to that, be it fan service or no, but fan service particularly being irksome, that's when I start... Getting... Or like, you know, imperatives that... A millennial should have more children. <laughs> Thinly disguised. <laughs> uh, thank you, Shinzo Abe, or, a, or whatever. Anyway, so I should probably really add there's a caveat that I forgot to add before, that if you think I'm going to complain about shows that are very explicitly like that, I'm not, because that's what they are. They're not trying to mislead me or missell me on their intent. They're not things that I will personally watch or care about, but I won't presume for a second to say that other people won't enjoy them. But, you know, there's a difference between the likes of Keijo and other works, which sell me on the premise of something else and then deliver on that entirely separately. It's falsehoods. It's, it's lies. It's like reading, you know, I've said this before, it's like you buy a novel and then it suddenly turns into be a pornography book. Like, you know, you were sold a fantasy book that's written word. Next thing you know, there's just tits everywhere. And you know what? Like, if that was then remodeled or repackaged as a pornography book, fine. I'm not going to complain about that product being there. Or being, or rather being marketed the way it is. I mean, the discussion of whether or not we should be having that kind of material out there is a different matter. Again, question of application, execution, purpose, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to make a blanket statement for or against it, because that's silly and stupid. You get the point. Do you think we're sounding, like, condescending? We're coming off as... You can enjoy whatever fucking heinous garbage you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just, I'm slightly dissatisfied with, with that, if that is how I'm coming across by saying, enjoy what you like. I enjoy things that I also think are 
less artistically meritorious than these other things. Well, let me well let me throw. But just understand that they are lesser pieces of art. Uh, does that sound a little? That's like... not the intent I'm trying to get across at all. No, no, no. And I'm talking. I'm speaking for myself. Well, let here. me let me offer you a bone then here. I think the thing that you're trying to say is that you're welcome to watch whatever you want, but you might want to have some self awareness about the work. You might want to just accept, you know be more aware of it beyond the surface level. Yeah, yeah, because I. You know, there's some stuff that I would consider sort of uh, pop art, low art. I mean, I guess you could argue all animes this way, but I, I don't necessarily agree. But I know there's some stuff, I don't know, Just let's just use Twitter speak. There's some trash that I like. I like me some trash, okay? I dig it. This is me judging by my own standards, my own media I viewed. Like, I can see other people going, uh, hey, don't call what I'm, you know, I don't, I don't care if you enjoy it too. You're calling it trash. And I don't agree with you classifying it as such. But I guess that's sort of what makes the world go round. If we can kind of civilly say, look, like this is just my evaluation of it and you have your evaluation of it and it's not a personal issue. Mm -hmm. No, it's not personal slang as anyone in particular. I mean, I've made plenty of broad sweeping statements before about stuff on this show as it happens. Um, But yeah. I think that it's one of those things where if it were a, a Facebook relationship size, it would be, it's complicated. But I do think that there are certainly problems with it. There's no, you know, all, oh, it doesn't matter. None of it's relevant. None of it's a problem. None of it's, like, you know, there are problems here and there, but the question is that I think, I yeah. think the important thing is that we approach each of them individually and give them their own time and merit and discussion. I mean, I certainly have come up with broad rules here and there. And then I keep coming back to Kill the Kill, which in theory should have been one of the most egregiously, you know, annoying shows ever for me. But it wasn't. I really did enjoy it, as uh, did Ollie from Philosophy Tube. Um, so it's one of those things where I think the thing that you need to do is just to make sure you give everything its own fair shake. If you are, if, if it's something you do want to watch, I mean, if it's obviously very openly a thing that you don't want to watch, don't do that. I'm not saying you should waste your time watching everything just to get a rounded opinion. Give everything its fair shake. Don't be reductive, particularly. Consider the context that the show is working with, the message, the characters, you know, what it means for them to be objectified like that, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, is it Does it have a wider world-building element? Consider the author's optics. Maybe I mean, whatever they might say their intent is. Again, people, you know, all works are products of human creation. Inevitably, things will bleed through. Worldviews and perspectives, even very subtly. So, despite claiming otherwise, I mean, Dan Olson did videos on Fifty Shades of Grey in which he said that, you know, the books, despite Erica Mitchell, E.L. James, you know, whatever the fuck her online handle was, protesting otherwise, did have a very code, uh, like, consistent message of BDSM bad. Which, well, people obviously took very strong umbrage to that because it's not something I personally into, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to reveal I've got a dungeon back here that you can't see with the leg spreader. But what I, but what I will say is that that's okay. It's yeah. all right. I'll keep your secret. Yeah. But what I will say is, in that particular instance, Erica Mitchell explicitly stated that that wasn't what she wanted to get across. But the book very clearly, like even if unintentionally, says otherwise, and that's a function of worldview. That's a function of things bleeding yeah. through. It's again why I said before about the idea of this work is this piece is a work of fiction and does not reflect the views of the author like bullshit. It always will, just as varying degrees. Some works the works that ultimately do completely reflect the uh, the views of their authors are usually biographical in nature, also biographical particularly. 
Uh, but there are some that are just very nakedly, you know, morality plays based on, you know, their own perspectives. But what I'm talking about and why I said it was a problem of ethical defects is because over time, cumulatively, consuming works of a similar ilk that have those kind of interpretations that may not be in foreign intent will in turn bleed through into your own mindset and will then, in turn, when you make own, your own work, similarly bleed through without you realising it. I mean, to go back to say, you know, Franks, we of course had a lot of discussion about the fact that, you know, Nishikori said there were no political messages in that. Uh, uh, uh. Even if, hand on heart, he was telling the truth and he never meant to have any message in it whatsoever, the work speaks very clearly otherwise, and that's a function of his upbringing, his worldviews, and what he has learned over the years from the media he's consumed and the life he's lived. And that's why it will be a problem in ethical defects, just it will only be one small jigsaw piece in a wider problem. The thing is, how do you fix individual jigsaw pieces? You repaint them, you redesign them, you redraw them. And you have to do it for all of them in order to solve the problem a little wider. Uh, by the way, once again, blanket statement, not against every fan service ever. Some shows are incredibly great for their fan service or for the way the characters act. There's a reason that I commissioned Cheryl Gnome to be our album art. You know, I'm proud, I'm mm -hmm. proud of commissioning that shit. She is a classy lady. Oh, yes. But the thing is, there's more to her than just, you know, the boobs and the butt. There's also the hair. No, wait, of course, I'm joking. <laughs> but you get, yep. you get, you get yep. my point. And hey, I mean, you know, and you brought up Senja Gohara earlier, and her sex appeal is a big part of her character, but it is a, it is a part. You know what I mean? There's so very much more that makes her interesting and, and worthwhile to read about or, or watch. I just wanted to take this opportunity to say, Go Nagai must, whether he realizes it or not, must love dinosaurs because they keep showing up in his work and being awesome. I don't, I don't know if he understands. This is a tangent. His own psyche. Uh, I see sophoral intent again. You know, even even in dark ways like that, it can bleed through just a little bit. But there you go, folks. That's my long over, you know, long final thesis statement on fan service. Short of you know me becoming a puritan, well, uh, or you know, <laughs> and I don't, I don't. Let's not call it final. Uh, we've talked about this topic off and on throughout the lifespan this of the is podcast. This yeah. We could uh, continue to kind of refine our, our views. I mean, I've uh, mm -hmm. I've talked about it with you. I did uh, an episode on it with the Blade Licking Thieves a year or so ago. It's been more than a year, I think, um, at this point. Uh, and my views continue to evolve. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. yeah, let's let's keep trying to better understand each other and, and artwork. And yeah. I mean, I suppose, like, you know, if I could have a moment, like, say, where I thought my views were set and I kind of widened them in response to something that was related but not ultimately, you know, directly addressed to me or something that I personally experienced, that video specifically, then maybe I should be open to the possibility of that happening in the future. You know, it happened once, it can happen mm -hmm. again. Indeed, indeed. I think we might have, we've come to the end of our discussion mm -hmm. and it's been a very fruitful one. Thank you, Shadon. My pleasure. Thank you, Insane Doc. So uh, where can the good people uh, find you on the internet? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at ShaneTenTen. Uh, please feel free to smash that like button before it disappears entirely. Uh, you may also find me on CuriousCat.me uh, forward slash ShaneTenTen. Uh, so feel free to hit me up to tell me that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, at which point I will smash that mute button because I don't care. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm always, <laughs> happy to I'm always happy to engage discussions made in good faith, so do feel free to come my way if you do have good faith discussions in mind. If you have bad faith discussions in mind, kindly piss off. Uh, I can be located on Twitter at The Subtle Doctor, and I also 
Uh, and Shadon does too. Uh, manage the Wari Desho accounts. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast as a whole, which is me, Shadon, and Vargalia, tweet us at Wari Desho, email Wari Desho, W A U, God, I can't spell, W A R U I D E S H O U, at gmail.com. We got a SoundCloud page if you're uh, finding us on iTunes. Um, if you're on SoundCloud, hey, we're on iTunes too, Apple Pods. Uh, we have a YouTube channel as well in which we do plenty of live stream discussions about anime and mm-hmm. stream games from time to time uh this will be going up there in some form or other check us out uh there if you are elsewhere uh please like subscribe share follow etc smash that like button <laughs> how many times do i have to tell you continually <laughs> smash but folks uh it's been a pleasure Thank you for joining us for this uh, special occasion, this kind of interesting one-off, and maybe we'll do more of these in the future. Indeed. If you all like these topical episodes. But for Shadon, I am the Subtle Doctor. Embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Good night. (laughs) 